the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we hit into hour two, it is a delight to bring back to the show um, George Kaloff. He is the president of Data Orbital, managing partner of the Resolute Group. He is a political consultant, pollster, and analyst. incomparably great. I I just can't say enough about him. And it's a delight to have him on when we have him on on these Fridays. He's also willing to take your calls. Any questions you have, we'll do our best together. Uh, 602-508-0960 is the number. 602-5080-960. George, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me as always, Seth. You bet. You bet. All right. What what did we learn? Let's start as big and work down. Let's start large and go and, and work down. What did we learn this week nationally as a party, as a movement, as a country politically? Then we'll get to Arizona. So I think uh, Matt Walsh, an online commentator, very conservative guy, I think said it best. Uh, his commentary was outside of Florida, the Republican Party is visionless. Mm. We don't have a direction. We don't have a focus. Um, he did cover the cultural stuff, which I know we'll uh, yeah. we'll talk about today. But he said outside of Florida and what Ron DeSantis has done there, the rest of us, his estimation is we didn't win because we were a bit aimless. Mm-hmm. DeSantis had a clear vision, a clear path, a clear um, work that had been done the last four years in Florida, and he capitalized on it, as did everyone else down ballot uh, was the beneficiary of it. Yeah, I had seen that. Uh, and I'm thinking about midterm elections with a unifying or unity message. Maybe maybe we haven't had one since 94 or 2010. Is that a function of leadership from the top? Is it where how do you, if you agree with that? How do you how do you lay the responsibility for that? Yeah, and, and I mean, this is the problem. You and I you know, talked at, at nauseum about how, you know, we really were a bit more not a bit, we were more focused than the left was. I mean, mm-hmm. we were clearly focused on inflation, the economy. Some of us were focused on cultural issues. I do think it may not have been as uniform as we thought it was going to be, right? In Arizona, it, it was pretty uniform, and there's still a long road to go there. We'll talk about it, um, you know, in a bit. But nationally, uh, it does. it was a bit more disjointed, and there were some people that steered very clear, namely in the Northeast, away from cultural issues. Yep. And the only place that we did well in the Northeast was, was Lee Zeldin. But what did he talk about? He talked about crime. Now, look, Lee Zeldin didn't win. But there's a lot of people that credit the down-ballot victories for Republicans in New York to the leadership that Lee Zeldin provided at a statewide perspective. That wasn't the case in some of these other places. And the fact that the congressional apparatus, I mean, that is the biggest, I would think, even maybe more so than the Senate, because the Senate was on a razor's edge the entire time. Yeah. It looks like the thing that fell apart the most was our House apparatus, our congressional apparatus, that in 18 and 94 had a clear agenda. In 94 with Gingrich and the and the compact, and in 2010, ACA, we didn't necessarily have the same thing this year. Okay. It was crime in some places, culture in some places, inflation in some places, immigration in some places, and we didn't have a clear leader. Um, that not, was not, not one that one we, we could rally around anyway, not one we could re- rally around the way Gikrant offered himself up and perhaps a few leaders in 2010 did like Jim DeMint, maybe if I'm memory, remembering that right, possibly. Um, 
Arizona, uh, before we get to the election results, uh, personality-wise, the candidates themselves and, and where they may be standing right now, uh, the nation is looking at Arizona, and we are uh, laughed at and scoffed at. How much of that is deserved? How much of that is a little overstated? This is something that I've been grappling with since Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, look, this process is not easy. So in the defense of those that are running our elections, the process is not easy. But on the other hand, um, if you're the CEO of a utility company, and I've used this metaphor a lot over the last couple of days, if you're the CEO of a utility company, and an act of God occurs in your jurisdiction, and something happens to people or something out of your control. You didn't cause that act of God, but oftentimes that CEO gets fired. That CEO gets blamed. The yep. leadership gets blamed. Yep. Even though it wasn't their fault, right. it was the reaction to that thing, the right? I mean, I think that here. most yep. people can agree to that. Mm-hmm. And in this scenario, we have certain leaders that are running our elections. It wasn't their fault, and it was, it wasn't that the printer, um, you know, uh, printers were set to print lighter ink, and so the tabulation machines didn't count them or that in some voting locations the the election workers you know said things that were you know um, either inaccurate or were scaring people and so people went to other locations and there were lines and there was there was confusion and we were the only county right this was not an Arizona problem it was very singularly a Maricopa County problem all eyes were on us we had to have a perfect election and we had far from it and while I appreciate that they said they had fail safes like this you know, door three that, for example, if the tabulation machines didn't scan, they would put them in somewhere else in a secure box, and then that box would be scanned in the central tabulation um, office. But people didn't feel comfortable with that, of course, because we've had two years of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, the buck has to stop with someone. The Mm -hmm. buck has to stop with the leadership. And there were were issues. There's just no doubt about it. You, You can't say that there weren't. There were issues. Now the question is, what do we do about them? And how do we change the narrative moving forward. I don't think our county and our state can sustain another election like this because we're tearing, I mean, we're tearing apart at the seams. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, I I think I would agree with everything you said. And then there's this other question of the length, uh, the, the, the several days it is taking to get these full tallies, or at least I should say results. Is that a function of a systemic problem, or is that a function of these races being so darned close, or is it something else or a combination? I mean, look, it's, it's a somewhat of a combination. These races are close. Okay, there's, there's close races in other states as well. Yes, it's a function. Our laws in Arizona allow for people to drop off, drop off their ballots on Election Day. But our laws also in Arizona allow for signature verification. Neither of those things are allowed in the state of Florida. Uh-huh. The state of Florida has perfected a model, and I know I keep coming back to the state of Florida. No, it's, 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 uh, there's a good a reason model, to, yeah. Right, they've perfected a model in the way that they run elections after the issue that happened in 2000. And so, yes, people can blame and say, oh, well, it's all of this talk about election integrity. That's what caused everyone to drop off their ballots, and it's your fault that it was delayed. I mean, that, that, that cannot just be the answer. If the answer is always to dismiss and just say, well, all these people that have concerns, they're the problem, we need to do something about our laws. The time that it takes to process these ballots is much longer than other states because we use a mode of operating like signature verification that is different than voter ID, which would go much quicker because your ID is verified and your ID is verified. You don't have to scan and adjudicate, you know, which is to go in and if there's a signature in question, have a back and forth and have staffers take time. That is all very labor intensive. Uh, and again, we're almost we're one of the few states, if not maybe the only state, that allows for early ballots to be dropped off on election day. There's some states that allow early ballots to come in a day or two or three or five after election day, but those are very small numbers. Here, 
we're going to end up having maybe 15% of our vote having been dropped off on election day, maybe another 15 plus that voted on election day. We had record numbers of people that voted, but the individuals in charge should have been prepared. They knew what was coming. They mm-hmm. knew that Republican voting habits had changed. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do something about it. And if let's assume that nothing nefarious is occurring with the counting. Right. The, the, the perception that it gives people in almost every other state in the union, except for Florida, uh, sorry, except for California, that yep. we know has a lot of ballots and has very convoluted laws. Almost every other state in the union has not wrapped up, but even the close races are in a very different position. We still have to put in perspective, we still have, I think, about 30 percent of our likely vote that has not been counted. Half a million. I mean, that's like that's like New Jersey or Pennsylvania having a couple million. I don't think any state has anywhere near the percentage that we do. Even Nevada is very close to wrapping up. That's a problem. And again, I'm not just being critical. It's not the fault in a way of the current, ele- you know, current elected officials that manage our elections. The laws allow certain things to happen. We just should have done something to change the law. But what we spent the last two years is, is, is there was a lot of fighting about stuff, and, and we didn't we didn't affect the change that we needed to, but we need to learn our lesson going into these next two years. We had a ballot initiative on this uh, election, ironically enough, that would have done, I think, some of that. Um, a, correct me if I'm wrong. B, how does it fare? Um, that is correct. And right now it is showing uh, that the no side is prevailing by a little bit, but I still think it's a little bit too early to call. It really right. comes down to, again, these five, you know, these half a million ballots, which is 20 to 25 percent of the total vote, they will decide a lot of these very close propositions. There's two or three propositions that are on a razor's edge mm-hmm. that have not been decided yet. And Proposition 309, the one that you're yep. referring to, is yep. the voter ID one. Right. Uh, that That is still too close to call. And had that or... Please, God, does it pass? It would it would solve a lot of the concerns you had raised, right? It would answer a lot of the problems that yes. you had identified. Yes. It's part of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's other pieces that have to be solved, but it is part of the puzzle. This year, also, we passed a law that allows um, early ballots that are dropped off to be opened yep. and to be processed immediately. That yep. would have made longer lines, but I'm telling you, the people that I that I know and the data shows that go and wait in line. They would have waited 10 hours. They just want to feel like their vote's secure. They set aside their day. They want their vote to be secure. But that law was passed. That bill didn't go into effect until September. And so it was not in place for this election. That is another piece of the puzzle that we need going into the future of of the state and the future of the way that we run elections in the state. George Kaloff is our guest. He of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Happy to take your calls as well. If you're on hold waiting, please be patient. We will get to you, I promise. I want to do a little more with George preliminarily to set some more of the stage. George Kaloff and I will be right back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Bingo Reverse Mortgage. Inflation is slamming retirees, throwing retirement budgets into chaos. With inflation at a 40-year high, the dollar isn't going as far as it did just months ago. With gas prices sky high, grocery prices increasing over 13% since this summer, and a recession looming, aging adults are struggling to make ends meet. A reverse mortgage could be the safety net you need to get through these hard times by allowing you to convert the equity in your home into cash. A reverse mortgage could put more money in your pocket for living expenses, help you fight inflation, make your investments last longer, and give you the security in your retirement that you deserve. Call the veteran-owned and veteran staff bingo team at 928-277-4476. That's 928 
277-4476 right here in Arizona or visit bingoreversemortgage.com. That's bingoreversemortgage.com. Mention you heard from me and get a free appraisal reimbursed at closing, a $1,000 value. George Kaloff is our guest from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. George, thank you for being with us. Uh, I know it's been a busy week and, and a busy day talking elections. Um, first of all, any any interesting predictions you might have or any predictions you might have vis-a-vis where all eyes are on uh, Kerry Lake right now? So we still feel confident with the numbers that we're looking at that Kerry Lake will be the governor-elect of the state of Arizona. Um, there is an, um, there is a quite a bit riding on the update from the Maricopa County tonight, but a word of caution for listeners. There's a, and I, I don't want to bore everyone with a very convoluted explanation, but at least to put some color on this because mm-hmm. it is critical. Because uh, I do think that there's an intentionality by some of the narrative that's being sown, and I want folks to to watch this diligently. The batch tonight from election day drop-offs, which I have been saying, and a lot of others in the Republican Party have been saying, should be better for the Republican Party. The batch tonight is likely to be. The way that the because of the way that Maricopa County counts from geographically close locations to what they call MTech, which is the headquarters of Maricopa County, and we know that the majority of locations in a 10-15 mile radius to MTech, which is downtown, are heavily blue Democratic uh-huh, voting center areas. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that means the batch from tonight, because they count them what they call first in, first out. Right. So whatever is arriving first, they count those, and whatever arrives last. We got reports that there were some voting centers in Republican areas that were open till 8 o'clock or 8.30 or 9 o'clock because there was people in line. And we know the farther out you get from the core, the more conservative that you are, whether it's in the northwest, northeast or southeast. And so tonight's drop should be slightly favorable, but it's not going to be the the bigger numbers that we expect because of the way that we're counting everything. Um, So just as a word of caution, but I still feel confident um, that uh, that she'll be able to uh, to get across the line, but look for Pima is uh, Pima's numbers from today, and look for Maricopa's numbers for tonight. Those should get us and continue to give us indication. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, all right, so you know, this is kind of an interesting thing I've been toying around with, and you and I have talked about this for weeks now. Um, and you know, everyone has their view on on what works and what doesn't. Mine is that candidates that are not afraid to speak about the cultural issues are candidates that do well. At the national level, people might think of Ronald Reagan. They might think of George W. Bush, the second Bush. Um, They might think of Donald Trump in 2016. Candidates that shy from that maybe derisively think of the vision thing, George H.W. Bush, one term, Jerry Ford, not Ronald Reagan. Uh, in fact, um, he said, I'm a Ford, not a Lincoln. And he meant that in uh, two, two, two very important ways. <laughs> and in each election or in each time period, epoch maybe, the cultural issues are going to change. To me, the big one this time or the big one in front of us really is the children, George. It's, it, and everything that goes with it. It's, it's education. It's the school shutdowns, the COVID lockdowns. It's the education results having gone downhill. It's uh, what we did to children with mandates. It's what we did with them on sexualization. It's what we did to them with re-racialization. All of that seems to be the pregnant cultural issue of the day. My sense, 
And it's not true, obviously, everywhere, and it will depend on the candidate and their ability to deal with it as well. My sense is the candidates that went there and were not afraid to go there did pretty darned well. Carrie Lake would be an example of it. She did not shy from the cultural issues. The candidates that stuck on talking points and the economy stuff, not as well. It seems to me that the whole set of COVID issues and what was discovered during the COVID period is much closer than the rear view mirror would indicate. And the candidates that, 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 that grabbed it and talked about it and said never again and let's reverse it, they seized the cultural issues and got them about right. That's my working thesis. We'll talk more about it, but I'd love your reaction. I, I agree. I agree with that. I think that long gone are the days where you have individuals that are treated in distinct buckets. What I mean by that is you've got your economy folks and you've got these types of folks and your national security folks. And, and in the 80s and 90s, the party was made up of a three-legged stool. And, yep. and again, there was a season for it. I think the season now is you have one pillar. Okay. <laughs> you have a Republican. Uh-huh. And that Republican is made up of a very complex amount of things. And culture is one of the leading um, uh, portions of it. We, and one even data point, and again, this is still um, not fully concluded, but it, it is likely that on the Scottsdale Unified School District, um, two conservatives, two parents, two Republicans that ran very strong campaigns will prevail for those two seats. At a minimum, one will, um, two likely. Are we talking about yeah. Amy and Karen? That's correct. Yeah, Amy I want to talk about that race. So we're talking to Amy, right. uh, Amy Carney and Karen Werner, who are well known yes. to this audience. Yeah, go ahead. Now, now, the thing that is very interesting is that we have data to show that in the last time that they were on the ballot, uh, not they, but the last time Scotia Unified was on the ballot, there was a tremendous undervote. There was a lot of people that voted at the top but didn't vote for school board. This time, the data shows as if people voted for more than one candidate. So now we know, obviously, that's not statistically possible. But what that tells us is because Republicans have turned out, and we know this for a fact in Scottsdale in large numbers, that means finally Republicans that had a choice for school board voted for school board, and they had been undervoting in the prior years. That means there's a whole lot of candidates that are awake, or sorry, voters that are awake. And I think in Arizona, we're going to pick up at least one or two seats in every district that we ran candidates in, at least in Maricopa County. And from Gilbert to Peoria to Scottsdale and, and Mesa and other places, and some of them are even finalized, that is a big deal. We know that we saw that in Florida and we saw that in other states. Down ballot, there was tremendous progress for school board candidates because they focused on issues. And we know Election Day voters, interestingly, the biggest chunk of people that voted on Election Day was, guess who, Gen Xers, Mm -hmm. that are the most likely to have children in the home. Mm -hmm. They took time out of their day. They were the largest group of voters that voted on Election Day. There's an energy there that we need to harness, and that's part of the vision that I think we talked about earlier on that needs to be cast for the future of the party. Okay, good, 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 good. Let me pick up on that. I have a few follow-up questions on that, with particularly voting on these education issues or on these children's issues and the culture. We'll do it when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's George Kaloff from the Resolute Group and Data Orbital Consulting. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. George Kaloff is our guest. He is the um, managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president at Data Orbital Consulting. George, a little more on that culture and education and children uh, theme, if I might. If I'm to your point, maybe to my point, 
if I'm reading uh, the results as they're coming in correctly, it looks like turnout for some of these races, some of these strong uh, mama bears and others running for school boards, some of the Arizona Women of Action people like Amy and Karen, Amy Carney and Karen Warner in Scottsdale, voter turnout, if I'm reading this right, ran about 10 points higher than voter turnout generally for the state elections. If I'm reading that right, that tells us a lot, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I, and I think that that is what we are seeing. We've got turnout in, you know, at 50 percent in Peoria. And again, this is there's still a lot more to go. We've got it at 61 percent in Scottsdale. Uh, we've got it at um, in the 50s in Gilbert. I mean, there's definitely uh, there's definitely a focus on these races. And I'll tell you, we are not on pace to shatter turnout records like I thought we were. Now, I'm not quite sure why yet, and we'll take some time to unpack. But right now as a state, we won't even hit the turnout percentage of 2018. So we may be at 63 64%, and we were almost at 65% in 2018. So there's definitely some sort of warning signs there as to question why. But in, in, in a lot of these school board races and these school board districts, there was, a, there was a very high and very increased turnout. And more than just turnout, there was an increased engagement on the races because there looks to be a pretty dramatic decrease in undervotes, which means people that voted in those areas that voted for president, uh, sorry, like president or senate or governor, you name it, but did not vote for the school board. So both of those things combined does show an enthusiasm that is a lot more intense uh, for for a lot of these uh, school districts. That would that would lean in the direction or send the signal that maybe talking more about those issues is a good idea rather than a less good idea. Yes, 100 percent. George, do we have a shot in Georgia? Do we have a shot to take back the Senate? Um, we do. We do. But what I'm afraid of is if Nevada and Arizona don't go our way, it will not matter because a one-seat majority or a two-seat majority, that means donors and others will not be as focused on it. I do think we have a shot. Uh, we heard yesterday that, that Kemp, Governor Kemp, um, essentially let – uh, you know, lent his super PAC, his outside organization, his political apparatus, however you want to talk about it, mm-hmm. to the Senate committee. Mm-hmm. But I'm worried that if that's not the consequential race, there won't be enough money for us to get uh, Walker across the line. So that does make me nervous. But again, Arizona's not decided. Nevada's not decided. I hear Nevada's not trending in the best direction. Um, we still obviously have big question marks about Arizona. So we're sort of wait and see. Um, but I do think Georgia, I do think we can get it across the line, but uh, I think it depends on what happens in other parts of the country as well. And, and, and I, I didn't ask because I've been operating on this assumption. I'm continuing to operate on this assumption, but it does to me seem that we have the House of Representatives. I put that in the form of yes, a question. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, okay. yeah, that is correct. I do think we have the House of Representatives. I will say it is going to be a lot smaller margin than we thought it was going to be. That is an almost guarantee. Obviously, that's problematic. That's not what we wanted to see. Uh, We are going to end up picking up less seats. There's still a number of seats that are in question, particularly in California, because as we mentioned, they take longer to count. But we did just, for example, today pick up uh, Oregon's 5th District, which has been an ancestrally Democratic district. We are likely to pick up at least one, if not two districts here in the state of Arizona. So we're definitely heading in the right direction. But the winds were a lot more muted than we expected them to be, particularly in the Midwest and Northeast, which we can get into, but there were a number of like blue dog Democrats that people could have swore, you know, there was articles written about how, you know, the rural Democrat was going to be extinct. And so far, 
again, I could be wrong, but I think all of them have survived yeah. their elections. Yeah. It's very odd. So that story didn't manifest itself as, as much as we had hoped. All right, great. Let me. This was a short segment. Let me take the break, and then we'll, uh, we'll open up the uh, phone lines and take calls. If you're on hold, don't go away. George Kaloff and I will uh, we'll field them, and there's always room for more as well. 602-508-0960. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, as you should be, you can invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn the income on and off, compound it, whatever you choose, and no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure collateralized portfolio, and it delivers a high fixed interest rate, up to a 10.25% rate. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm. Please check out YRefi if this interests you. InvestYRefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R E F Y.com. Or give them a call at 888 YRefi 34. 888 YRefi 34. You can visit with them. They're based locally. You won't get a sales pitch. They leave that to me. George and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As many of you know, uh, not only is it Veterans Day, uh, we were doing a contest for the East Valley with, in coordination, the East Valley Veterans Parade today. Our contest winner is Bruce Beck, who got to ride in the station vehicle with our promotions and marketing director. Uh, Congratulations to you, Bruce. And again, thank you to every veteran um, in the United States alive and no longer. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for serving your country. George uh, Kaloff is our guest. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president at Data Orbital. George, uh, we have a few callers for you if you're uh, up for that, uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to get out that we didn't cover in our uh, in our byplay. Oh, let's do it. All right. I'm just uh, going to thank you for being patient, uh, Frank in Phoenix. Hello, Frank. Hey, guys, uh, quick question, Arizona question. Yeah. There's about 400,000 ballots that have been processed but not counted. They're ready to go, which means the names and registrations have been validated. So what's the ratio of Republican to Democrat in the ready-to-go ballots? George? So the while they have been processed, the data that is publicly available um, – is not very put together. So the answer is we don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, We'll know more tonight, but unfortunately the way that the county does and does not report and the way that our laws are set up, it's not a very seamless process in order to know that. We know that Republicans have an edge from pieces of information that we have been told, but not enough to say something definitive and definitely not enough to say it about the full 400,000. Uh, George, a uh, question for you on on some of the uh, the big races here that would include, of course, the governor and the Senate race. Uh, there was an uh, a friend of mine was pointing out, you know, when you look at the amount of money Mark Kelly spent um, vis-a-vis uh, versus Blake Masters, I don't know, was it seven to one, 10 to one, something like that. All of us can remember these probably have memories of the Blake, anti-Blake Masters campaign ads. Um, part, part, part of me wants to say, and part of what he was observing is we didn't notice as much 
ads against, negative ads against Kerry as there were against Blake. Part of that may very well have to do with Kelly's coffers versus Hobbs coffers. I was saying also it seemed like maybe maybe the media was doing the Hobbs campaign's job for them in a way as well. Blake didn't take as much heat in the media as Kerry did, but he sure did in the campaign ads and the negative ads. Do you have an observation on that at all? Yeah, I think both of those are true. Okay. I think definitely Kelly had more money than Hobbs. And frankly, I think that money that was spent um, on the governor's race, more of it needed to be spent positive Hobbs because of how abysmal she was doing, candidly. And frankly, that the media wasn't giving her more kudos because of her debate debacle, which we talked about. Uh-huh. And the other part of it is, yeah, I mean, look, the, the high-profile nature of the governor's race, it almost felt like it was the top of the ticket, yeah. even though we know technically the Senate was the first one on the ballot. Right. But Lake Lake was just – she just took more of the, the focus. And then uh, clearly we know that that's why Lake and Blake became a thing and why they ran together the last number of months. Yeah. Um, but I think both of those observations uh, are true. But again, I don't think we can underscore, you know, I don't think the Democrats felt like they needed to prop up Mark Kelly anywhere near in the way that they felt like they needed to prop up Katie Hobbs. And uh-huh. when there's a finite amount of money, um, you know, you got to yeah. make your decisions. And I think they ended up spending more money on positive Hobbs than they wanted to. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. OK, good, good, good. Thank you. Carl is in Mesa. Carl, you're on with George Kaloff. Yeah, thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Seth. I, uh, I'm actually calling more about integrity of the vote and all the rumors and everything that goes around the longer this happens, and not just Arizona, but nationally, mm-hmm. really. And I was thinking about solutions. I'm one of these solutions kind of worry the people. And I was thinking, you know, with binary code, with computers, it is so accurate and, and intentional. And couldn't you set up some kind of a system where you have you know, a machine or, you know, let's have, let's the Republicans have a machine, let the Democrats have a machine and have binary count, binary code. They have to match or someone was causing a someone was doing something, you know, someone was sleight of hand or whatever. They have to match. And you could you could the Republicans could or the Democrats, you could say, well, let's let's hand count 100 ballots and let's let's machine count. Oh, it's accurate. OK, let's just let the machine do it all or. Whatever. And then they have to match. And, uh, you know, so you, you don't have to worry that, oh, somebody's tampering with these boats and they get in the machine and it's being hacked or let's use binary. I mean, this is technology. Carl, is Carl, quick question. And I may miss, miss, be misunderstanding you, but quick question. Yeah. Would that yeah. would that problem be? Uh, be overcome or overcome someone? What, what, what if someone wants to vote a R in one race and a D in a different? Would that be problematic in your scenario or not really? Am I no, misunderstood? No, no, no. Okay. The, the Republicans are voting. They're, they're, I don't know. See, this is why I'm just throwing this out. Yeah. Someone with, who's more technologically advanced than I am, figure it out, please. But <laughs> let's say you're right. I mean, let's say you have, uh, you have, uh, you're in some big room or who knows what, yeah. and you're, or you're in several rooms, but you have a, a couple of machines, and these same ballots are being counted twice. In other words, I'm, I'm talking about binary yeah. code, okay. you know, just like a computer. It's extremely accurate, yeah. and we can eliminate this voter integrity problem that everybody's, like, worried that there's somebody messing around. It's not who votes. It's who counts the yeah. vote, and yeah. there's all these rumors, and is there a binary code binary way of doing this so we check and balance and we can then say okay i trust that our true president or our true governor i mean it was done 
Yeah. And nobody hacked in. Nobody just just know. taking the questions off the table. Well, I don't know, George. Uh, do we need to bring Elon Musk into Arizona and have him fix our <laughs> voter integrity and all that, George? What's your thought? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my thought is it, it is important whether or not you have an opinion of what happened in 2020. To me, it's about looking to the future. And what we need to do when we look to the future is ensure that that we all feel like we have comfort and we feel like our elections are secure and that they have integrity. And again, no matter what happened in 2020, we know that there are issues that continue to arise. We know that we use imperfect processes and more than imperfect processes like signature verification, which adds in a human element that no one can deny. And we need to get outside of that. Uh, and whether that's increasing the number of ballots that need to be randomized and hand counted or so on and so forth. You know, there's some people that want to totally <clears throat> take machines out of the picture and some people that don't. There's a lot of conflicting information there. All I know is that we have work to do. We have work to do in Arizona. We have work to do in other parts of the country. We have examples of states that do it well. We need to look to them and we need to not reinvent the wheel and bring what works from other places like Florida to the state of Arizona as well. Yeah, we need to send a delegation to Florida and just have them figure exactly that out. Well, George, I can't uh, thank you enough. I know what an exhausting and busy week it's been for you, and uh, I know uh, how much me and the audience here appreciate your time with us. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I was I was going to say get some rest, but not quite yet. Uh, maybe maybe no, on two, not, <laughs> not quite yet. No, not quite yet. We want we want you tired still, George. We want you tired. But thank you very much, as always, sir. Thanks, Seth. Absolutely. Thank you. I am Seth Leibson. As we head to break, don't go away. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I wanted to uh, put in a word, obviously, again for Veterans Day here uh, before we go into our third hour in uh, perhaps the best justification for the Emancipation Proclamation that was ever written. It was written by a man looking at us from abroad, an Englishman named John Stuart Mill. And in a big essay supporting Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation, he wrote, War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks that nothing is worth the war, is much worse. When a people are used as mere human instruments for firing cannon or thrusting bayonets in the service and for the selfish purpose of a master, such war degrades a people. A war to protect other human beings against tyrannical injustice, a war to give victory to their own ideas of right and good and which is their own war, carried on for an honest purpose by their free choice, is the means of regeneration. A man who has nothing which he is willing to fight for, nothing which he cares more about than he does his own personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. As long as justice and injustice have not terminated their ever-renewing fight for ascendancy in the affairs of mankind, human beings must be willing, must be willing when in need to do battle for the one against the other. For the one against the other, justice against injustice. Thank you to all of you, better men and women than myself, and your exertions on behalf of this great country. Thank you. A million times thank you. Don't go away. A lot more coming right up. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.